Uh, good morning. It's good to see you. What's going on? This is week two in our sermon series on the king's economy. And uh, uh, today, what I want to do to start is I want to give you the bookends of today, because uh, kind of where we're starting is where we're ending. And I hope we end with a bang. And just so you know, at the end, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to do something. So some interaction, and it's not even with me. It's going to be out there in the world, right? So the bookend, so the title of today's sermon is this. It's one table, it's one baptism, no distinctions. Same as last year. One table, one baptism, no distinctions. So really it's about a community of people living under the reign of a king. And everyone is invited to live under the reign of this king. But as it is with all invitations, you can say yes or you can say no. So that's where we're starting. I want you to know where we're ending. We're ending with a song that my family loves. We sing it at bedtime. We sing it often. It's called Good Grace. But I feel like it echoes the words of our title for today. It will be on the screen, I think. It says this. It says, people come together, strange as neighbors, but our blood is one. Children of generations of every nation of kingdom come. That's where we're going. And my prayer for today is this. The song goes on to say, swing wide, all you heavens. I don't even know what that would be like if the heavens swung wide. But then it says, let our praise go up as walls come down. So that's where I hope we end. As our praise goes up, walls come down. One table, one baptism, no distinctions. So uh, last week we started our series with a question, and it was around worship. We just worship. We're going to keep worshiping. But I want to show it to you again so you know what it was. The question was this. Um, how does my personal relationship with money affect what, how, or who I worship? The text was what Jesus said, that Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that your heart will be also. So what you treasure, you worship. What you worship is what has your attention. It's what you think about. It's what guides your decisions. It's deep down inside of your heart. I always kind of thought it'd be cool one time, just one day, I don't want this every day, if we could almost have like a big board where you could see what you thought about throughout the day. Just to kind of, what is rising to the top? What do I think about a lot? What guides my decisions? I would kind of want to know those kind of things. Not every day, but some days. So it's what we, it's what, it's how we choose things. It's what we worship, okay? So just for a moment this morning, I just want to make an assumption, it's not a good assumption, um, that we all want to live under the reign of this king. We want to do it like he wants us to do. We want to live in his economy and his reign. If you're not there, you're not sure if you're there, at the end of the day, you do want to live under the reign of this king. There will be prayer ministers up here, and they can help you do that. But let's just say for a minute, we all want to live under the reign of this king, which means we all have to worship as he would want us to worship. What would that look like? What would that be? Right, because money is, our relationship with money is crucial, but that's a, that's a part of our life, right? We're not, we're not talking about moments of generosity. We're talking about a life of generosity. There's 168 hours in the week, right? We're here for one. There's 167 more. So this series is about what are we doing with the rest of the week? How are we living? The Lord's after, the, this king is under, he's after a generous lifestyle. Constantly being generous. So what kind of worship is he asking for? So our text today comes from kind of a, a different passage. I never thought we'd be here. I thought we'd be in, the, in like the New Testament, but we're not. 
we're going to be in Deuteronomy today. All right, that's the fifth book in the Bible. So you can uh, be a page number there in a moment. Uh, Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 19. Uh, just so you know, as you're turning pages at home or here, uh, this is Moses' farewell speeches to the Israelites. So he's talking to a group of people who have been enslaved for 400 years, not making any of their own decisions. Now they've been in the wilderness for 40 more years, and Moses is not going to go with them. So there's a whole bunch of things that he wants to make sure that they get. They have to know this stuff. And so I missed it earlier, but there's a lot of urgency in his words. What he has to say has to happen now. And actually, uh, later on in, Israelite, in, in Israel's uh, growth as a kingdom, this book leads to revival. Deuteronomy leads to a revival amongst the nation when they got these words, right? So we're reading 26, 1 through 19. It's a chunk of scripture, so hang in there with me. And I want you to be asking yourself a question as I'm reading it. The question is this. What kind of worship is the Lord asking for here? What does worship mean to him in this passage? Okay? So I'm going to read it. 1 through 19. Here we go. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today, today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our forefathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and to your household. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so they may be in, eat in your towns and be satisfied. Then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all you commanded. I have not turned aside from your commands, nor have I forgotten any of them. I have not eaten any of the sacred portion while I was in mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean nor have I offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the Lord my God. I have done everything you commanded me. Look down from heaven, your holy dwelling place, and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our forefathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen for the urgency. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow the decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You, that's plural, you have declared this day that the Lord is your God, and you will walk in his ways, and you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and you will obey him. And the Lord has declared this day, there's a theme, that you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, 
and you are to keep all his commands. He has declared he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations he has made. And you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. People of God, this is the word of God. So what kind of worship was he asking for? What's he asking them to do? Hmm. So a year ago, I was sitting right over there, and uh, we had a guest teacher speak, uh, a preacher. He came. He stood right here. His name is Josh Dotzler. He's from Abide in North Omaha. Our 6th, 7th, and 8th graders are being led by Chrissy Kramer and Lauren Drake, and they're taking teams over there. We're going to partner with them, learn from them, serve with them. It's coming up this next month. But anyways, Josh was right here, and I was there, and he said a sentence, and I have not forgotten this sentence. Not sure why. He said, in North Omaha, we have all kinds of different people who live here, all different stages of life, social, economic, all kinds of stuff, tons of people. He said, so our goal is to create common ground so we can call each other the higher ground. He said, our goal is to create common ground so we can call each other the higher ground. That's what I think the Lord is trying to do. I think that's the worship he's describing. Did you hear it? So this is the only place in the first five books of the Bible where God says, this is how you worship. This is what you have to do. What did he say to do? Let's look at this quickly. He said, first, just be honest. Acknowledge you were a slave. And now you're free. How did you go from slavery to freedom? It took a miracle. It took a work of God to bring you from 400 years of oppression to a land of freedom. With, as a group, you, this is a plural you, it's not individual, you are all going to stand. You are all going to declare this day, I was a slave. Now I'm free. And God, you did it through a miracle. That was first. Then, he said, what you have to do is you have to bring your tithe, right? Everyone brings the first fruits. So you bring your meat, your wine, your oil, your fruit, your corn, whatever you got, your best thing. Everybody has to bring it. Everybody does. We're all together, and you're going to lay it before the Lord. And then what does he say to do? Verse 11. He says, and you, you, the Levites, that might be me, and the aliens, everyone else, among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you. So he wants them to enjoy it. So that's kind of weird because I'm not sure how you feel today, but when you pay a tithe or a tax, you kind of feel like you give something away and you might not feel you get anything back. I don't know how you feel. But in this day, that was for sure the case. You would give it to the king, the ruler, right? And he would take it and he would put it in his, we'll call it a castle, I'm not sure where he lived, and he would enjoy it and you would not. But the Lord is saying, no, 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 that's not how, that's not how I work. I'm different than everybody else. You're going to give it to me, and I'm going to give it back to you, and you're all going to enjoy it together. It's going to be a party. You're going to celebrate. This is all the best stuff we have, and you get to do it all together. It doesn't say what they have to do in the celebration, but over and over and over again, he is very, very clear about who gets to come. Everyone is welcome. Everyone gets to come to this place where every, we all declare, I was a slave. 
Now I'm free. We live under your reign. All the things we have come from you, and you give it back to us. It's a celebration. It's a party. It's incredible. What a great thing. What a great meal. A ritual feast where everyone comes together around a table to be forgiven, to restore relationships. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, a meal. What was our sentence today? creating common ground to call us to higher ground. So thousands of years before, the Lord said, this is how you worship. You all gather together. Everyone is welcome. Everyone can be forgiven. Everyone can get called to higher ground. Apparently, it's not been going very well. So what does Jesus do? He comes down from heaven to us. Common ground says, you're welcome at my table, and you're welcome at my table, and you're welcome at my table. Come be forgiven. Come celebrate. Come restore your relationships. He modeled it for us. So it's got me thinking, no, Jesus did this on the night he was betrayed. Did he do this the rest of his life too? Remind me of a story. Stories about uh, Zacchaeus. Right? And remember the story? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. If you want to see it, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I'm trying my best to the booth. And he said, Jesus came by and said, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. What happened to Zacchaeus? No one liked Zacchaeus. He was the worst. He taxed them. He stole from them. He was the worst. And Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house today. Can I come meet with you? I actually want to know why you are the way you are. What's happened to you? What's going on in your life? Why are you taxing people like this? Why are you stealing from them? Tell me. I want to learn about you. He created common ground. What happened to Zacchaeus? I think he gave away half what he owned. He forgave all these people. He, debts were erased. His relationships were restored. Why? Because Jesus said, I want to create common ground with you, Zacchaeus. And then I want to call you to higher ground. See, he's been modeling this his whole life. But the problem is us, me, me, me specifically. I can't, I can't speak for you. So in 1 Corinthians, right, where Jesus, where, where Paul remembers what Jesus said in the upper room, what does he say just prior to that? 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. He says, this church, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Your meetings, these meals, do more harm than good. What's going on in those meals? Right, they're supposed to all gather together, celebrate together. But the problem in this situation is people are getting there early. They, they, they have. So they, they can get there early. And they're eating all the food. They're celebrating. People are coming after work to have nots. And they can't get in, really. They're in the hallways. They're still one family. They still all love Jesus. But there's disunity. 
They're not working together. There's harm. The relationships are broken. There's pain. They're not all gathering together. There's no common ground. Hmm. I got a couple stories to close. I want to go start really big and work our way down to Pelo to work our way down to us. All right? And I have something to, I want you to do. So the first story is about a guy named Friedrich, hope that right, von Bodelschwig Jr. You can't guess he's German. I didn't know who he was, but I learned who he was. You might have known his friend, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Anyone know Diedrich Bonhoeffer? Heard of him ever? So if you don't know him, he's a very famous theologian pastor who becomes a spy and gets martyred in World War II. So Diedrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few people as the Nazi regime was coming into power who said, this is not good. And he stood opposed to what they were trying to do. Probably the most famous thing he ever did was write this book called The Cost of Discipleship, his most lasting work. In it, the synopsis, he called the church of his day, his church, to faithful and radical obedience to Jesus. And the book was a severe rebuke of comfortable Christianity. So the cost of his discipleship ended up being his death. He died. But it got me thinking. We all have people in our lives who call us to higher ground. We all have friends, mentors, people who say they see things in us, they bring us into their life, and they pull things out of us. One of Diedrich's friends was Friedrich von Bodelschwig, Jr. and Sr. Let me tell you about them. So they created a, uh, a nonprofit healthcare program. In the 1800s, they wanted to serve people who were uh, dealing with epilepsy. That's how it started. They called their organization Bethel. Now, for those of you who don't know, Bethel is actually from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis. So the, the founders of the Israelite faith right, are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has this moment where he has, falls asleep. He has a dream. He sees a stairway to heaven, angels going up and down. He sees the Lord somewhere, and the Lord just assures him of his presence. And he wakes up and says, I'm calling this place Bethel, which means the house of God, because I didn't know God could be here. So it makes me wonder why they chose the name. You're people who are dealing with epilepsy, and they probably wonder, I can't believe that God can be here in this space, in this time. But that's what they called him. So I want to read you an excerpt from Diedrich Bonhoeffer's biography, a biography about him, okay? And, the, and what they did to him. So Bethel was created in 1867 as a Christian community for people with epilepsy. But by 1900, it includes several facilities and cared for 1,600 physically and mentally disabled persons. Friedrich Jr. took it over when his father died. And by 1930, this little nonprofit was a whole town with schools, churches, farms, factories, shops, and housing for patients, nurses, and caregivers. At the center of the town, at the heart of the town, was the hospitals and orphanages. Bonhoeffer saw Bethel, this little village, as the antithesis, the opposite, staying opposed to the Nazi worldview, which exalted power and strength. He said to him, this little town was the gospel made visible. He said this little town was a fairy tale landscape of grace, maybe called a good grace, where the physically and mentally disabled were cared for in a palpably Christian atmosphere. So in the heart of growing Nazi Germany is this little town. It's a fairy tale landscape of grace. 
The guy I heard this from said this. He said, it was a community of people living under the reign of a different king. A community of people living under the reign of a different king. So throughout World War II, the Nazis would come. They wanted to engage in what they called mercy killings. They were trying to create a super people. And these people didn't fit the bill of their super people. So they would come and ask. Fascinating, though, they never entered the village because people thought so highly of this little village, this little town. The outrage would have been just huge. So they never came in. In Bethel, the weak, those who were broken, those who didn't feel like they had a place, were exalted as the ones most worthy and most dignity, and worthy of the most dignity and care. That little town, that's a big thing though, right? Like a, a village, I always wanted to name a village. Or name, I like naming things, I think that's a cool job, I'm not sure who gets that job. But that's big, so what, what do we do? Well, I don't know if you know about this, we have a, a magazine that our church puts out. And the magazine comes out quarterly, and the magazine's based on our core values, intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. This is the purpose issue, right? So in this magazine, which you can get Saturday when you come and serve doing Meals for the Heartland, which I'll talk about in a minute, uh, you can get this. And you can read stories of people at our church who are going out into our community for the kingdom with a circle of love. They are growing the kingdom. People from our church. But one story I actually want to tell you about. Uh, it's Bruce and Sue Croyle. So a village might seem too big. What, what about a front porch? Now we're trying to create common ground to call people to higher ground, to call each other to higher ground. How about a front porch? This is their front porch. So they built this a couple years ago with the sole intention of inviting people to it. All of you, at any time you want, are invited to come sit on their porch. They just want to sit with you. They just want to talk to you. You can come and rest. You can come and read. It looks cozy and comfortable, right? It faces the south, I believe. It's nice. They made that to create common ground at their home. Who builds front porches anyways anymore? We build back porches, right? It's a front porch for you, for all of us. On top of that, they are now they build a prayer box. So you're not only welcome at their house at any time you want. If you want them to pray with you and pray for you, they're in. You drop your prayer box in your prayer in their box, and they will join you in praying with you. They have friends. There's it, people who will pray with them. They want to pray with you. They're creating common ground at their home to call all of us, each other, to higher ground. So I don't know. I don't know if you have room to build a front porch at your house, or if you live in an apartment you can't build. I don't know where you live. But that's a really creative idea. Someone in our church creating common ground. So I don't know what that would mean for you today. I don't know what your plans are. You know, oftentimes my family, sometime on the weekend, you end up just grabbing a bite out to eat really fast. You're just, you're running around, you've got to get something to eat. What if this week we all chose not to do that? We saved 30 or 40 bucks. So I'm not sure how big your family is. And you invite somebody over for dinner the next week or two. Somebody you might not first think to invite over, but you kind of know them. You want to get to know them a little bit. Well, you just had them over for a meal. This meal thing seems to be a big deal in the Bible, inviting people for meals. And not just our friends. It's really easy just to invite over our friends. What if we meet some new people? What if you're out and about 
you're at a ball game, you're a grandparent, you're a parent, and you see someone who's on your grandchild, child's team, you say, just, can I buy you a hot dog? And could I just get to know you? Say that in whatever way, it doesn't seem weird, right? Ask them about their kid. People talk about their kids forever, grandkids, right? But just get to know them. Create some common ground. Create some friendship so we can call each other to higher ground. So Bruce and Sue have been just kicking my butt this week. I don't do this kind of stuff. I'm pretty selfish, which seems to be the problem with the early church in, in Corinth. They weren't doing this. I'm like that. I'm not like Bruce and Sue. I want to be like Bruce and Sue. I want to welcome people into my home. I want to create common ground. People are seen and known and loved. They can share their stories, not feel judged, be forgiven. We get all together, right? That's what he's been prescribing since the beginning. So action steps. What I'm asking you to do. First one is this. We're packing meals this week on Saturday here for Meals to the Heartland. There's like 50 spots available. It's on the homepage of our website. You could come and do that. You come with friends, family. And actually, the teaching team was medium. We were talking about this. When I grew up, uh, when it comes to, to like tithes and generosity stuff, we used to have envelopes. And my dad would put a check in the envelope. And on the envelope, it had the amount that was in the envelope. And we as sons got to drop that in the offering plate. So we saw what we were doing. We knew what we were doing. We would oftentimes think about, all right, so if we didn't tithe for three, four, five weeks, we could probably get a new computer by then. You know, that, that's how our minds work. But, but we saw what, what my parents, we, we saw what they worshipped. Now, oftentimes, it's done online, which is great. It's really nice. But you miss out on some of those conversations. So what if you come to pack meals, whoever you're with, just talk about who you support. If you have a family, bring your family. Where, where do we give money? Why do we give money there? Why do we believe in that? It's important stuff for kids, young people to know as they grow, right? That's number one. So you could do that. And number two, still not sure how this is going to work, but there are cards and there are pens all throughout this room. In the back, Christiane is going to help out, I think. They're on that table back there. Those cards and pens. And I want to fill the Croyles prayer box. That is my goal today. Prayers for people in our region. And so you, it's right there, 304 Franklin Street. You saw the picture. If you need it, if you're not, if you forget, email me. But I want to fill their box with prayers. I want the prayers of the people to be sent out. I want us to fly out of here like a rocket, seeking to create common ground, okay? So, so, what, so uh, start passing around. Start looking. Pens, the pens are right, right here in the middle. I think a lot of them. And you can grab a pen and paper and pass it through, okay? Let's get a little interactive. I'm going to give you two minutes here to, to think about this for a moment, okay? I'm going to explain a little more. Because oftentimes you hear these things like, I don't know what to do, like what to write. All right, great. Well, you can put the prayer up for me. I want to bless people specifically by name. And then we want to agree with whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do this week with them. We want to be a part of that. That's what we want to do. So you're going to write, you're, you're going to write this out. You know, long hands. It's going to take him a minute. I'm sorry. Lord, would you bless someone in your life, someone that you think needs a blessing this week, right? And keep them. This is actually a blessing from Moses and his brother. Would you make your face shine on that person and be gracious to them? Would you turn your face towards them and give them peace? And here's our part. Please open my spirit to agree with your spirit 
over them. Holy Spirit knows what they need better than I do. That's the thing I love about blessing people is we get to create common ground. We get to ask them, how do you need to be blessed this week? What are you excited about? What are you anxious about? Where do you need God this week? Where do you need Jesus this week? Where do you need the Holy Spirit this week? And we just get to bless them, and then he does the work. You don't have to have a fancy prayer. This is really simple. And we just want to agree with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you two minutes. Hope we have pens and paper out. And you're going to write these down. I'll tell you afterwards. writing. I don't want to interrupt you. I don't want to stop you. So you can keep going. Invite the band up. So what you can do with this is you can, I think the best case scenario is you and whoever you're with, you take a walk later. You drop it off at 304 Franklin Street in the prayer box. You get to see the porch. Maybe that will kickstart some ideas for you how you can create common ground in your life this week. Or there is a basket right out the back door there. You can drop it there or at, at, at the welcome table. Um, but I just want to read the ending of what I just read earlier to you. Because if I told you there's urgency in what Moses has to say. I think there's urgency today for us to create common ground today with people. So hear the words of the Lord. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws and carefully observe them with all your heart. There is common ground for all of us. We're to call them there. You now have, if you wrote this down, declared this day 
that the Lord is your God and you will walk in his ways. You'll keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and you will obey him. And the Lord has declared this day, you are his people, his treasure possession, as he promised, that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise and fame and honor high above all the nations he has made. And you will be a people holy, set apart to the Lord your God as he promised. Amen.